All right. Um, hopefully you picked up the sermon notes back there in the back. Uh, the, if you got them from last week, we are continuing from last week. We have been looking at uh, the uh, doctrinal position of the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to take you again to Galatians chapter 1. Because what is the importance of doing this is, and, and the answer to that is, we're dealing with people's eternal souls. And uh, as we look at the different teachings or different uh, doctrines from churches, uh, we live in a time when everything's sort of melding together. We use the same terminology, but we don't mean the same thing. So it's a good thing to, to, to ask the group that we may be looking at, what do you mean by this? And let them speak for themselves. And that's what we've hopefully been doing with every group that we've looked at. And uh, uh, so when we look at, uh, look at the Roman Catholic Church, we've got about four or five more things we're going to look at tonight. Um, and just, just as we're thinking about next week, next week we're going to gather together, we're going to pray together, we're going to share testimonies together, and we're going we're to ask you to bring some sandwiches and some cookies, and afterwards we're going to eat together and just have fellowship. So I hope you'll plan to be here next week. Just a time of prayer and sharing testimonies, and, uh, and uh, then we'll continue on some things as we move on into the fall. But um, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, starting with verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so so soon from him who called you to the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So he draws this, this picture, that, that this great opposition from the grace of Christ to another gospel. He goes on to say, say, which is not another. In other words, this gospel is presented as a gospel, but it's not another gospel because there's only, what, how many gospels are there? There's only one gospel, okay? So which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. A perversion is any change of that which is true. You know, uh, as we examine these groups, it's always my hope that they'll examine us. Because I hope what they, when they find when they examine us is what the scripture says. Okay? So, it goes on to say, a perversion, uh, they pervert the gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than which we have preached to you, let him be, New King James says, a curse. Some of yours will say anathema. And that just means cursed. Or it means damned. It's a very strong word. So when, when someone calls an anathema down on someone's head, you're actually saying that they have damned themselves by what they're doing, what they believe. Now that will be very important because we are talking about eternal souls. And we look at Roman Catholicism, you're going to see that Roman Catholicism does several anathemas for things that the Bible actually teaches. And that's what I want you to understand because some people say, well, there's not that much difference between evangelical or biblical Christianity and Roman Catholicism. I, I beg the difference. I think we've looked at, at some of those things, and some of the very things that we hold true are the things that we are cursed by, by the Roman Catholic Church. So, verse 9, as, <clears throat> as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed or anathema. For do I persuade men, or do I now, excuse me, do I now persuade, persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Last week we looked at several of the pronouncements from the, the Council of Trent, uh, two major councils in the Roman Catholic Church, the Council of Trent, Vatican II, Vatican II, excuse me, Vatican II, uh, in the met in the 1960s, and they reaffirmed all 
the anathemas, all the pronouncements of the Council of Trent. In Roman Catholicism, it's not just the scripture. It's the scripture plus church tradition plus the, the decrees of the, the Pope from an infallible position when he sets upon his, his papal uh, seat uh, and he speaks ex cathedra from there plus the pronouncements of the councils or the magisterium. Those are all the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. Those are the things that are taught. And a lot of the catechism, I don't know how many of you ever heard of catechism? Some, some Baptists never heard of catechism. We don't have that. A lot of the catechisms are tied in with what the councils have taught. What the councils have taught. And in many cases have very little to do with what the direct scripture says. But what is the tradition of the church and what is the teachings of the councils or the pronouncements of the councils and the pronouncements of the Pope as he speaks ex-cathedral. By the way, ex-cathedral, when the Pope speaks that, what it's saying is that he is infallible in what he's saying. That does not mean everything the Pope says is infallible. It means when he speaks ex-cathedral, when he speaks from that papal seat, he is speaking as to declare the very true words of God and they are held... It's supposed to be held in the same level of Scripture. Again, some hold them as higher than Scripture because sometimes they have conflicted with biblical Scripture. Last week we looked at the anathemas of the Roman Catholic Church. Against those, that is the curses of the Roman Catholic Church, if you believe these things from the Council of Trent. The first thing, if you, the first thing, and I'm just going to go over these very quickly and we'll get into new stuff. The first thing, if you do not hold to the apocryphal books, remember the, the Catholic Bible is all the 66 books that you hold, but also books in the apocrypha. If you do not hold to the apocryphal book, then you should be anathema. You, you're cursed. The second thing we looked at is believing in salvation. If you believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith, without works, then you are anathema. Okay? So if you believe in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you're anathema. Okay? Uh, the third thing. If you do not believe, or excuse me, if you believe that baptism is only for believers, or you deny the necessity of infant baptism, then you are anathematized by the Roman Church. And you can read those from their own councils there in the paper that I gave you. We, we finished last week talking about the Eucharist and transubstantiation. The Eucharist to them would be the same, we would use a, term, a similar term, of the Lord's Supper. The elements of the Lord's Supper. To the Roman Catholics, they have the host and they have the cup. When the host and the cup are prayed over, it is said that, that, the, that the priest has the ability to infuse every part of Christ, including body, will, and soul, and spirit, into that wafer. So when a Roman Catholic receives Christ, they are receiving the wafer. They are receiving Christ. And when they, you ask them how they receive Christ, that would be their response. Yes, I've received Christ. And that's what they're speaking of when they do that. They don't mean the same thing with what you meant when you, as an evangelical, said, Yeah, I've received Christ into my heart. It's a whole different, a whole different thing. That prayer and that, that change in, that, in the essence of the wafer and the cup that's becoming the body and the, the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ, is the term there is transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. That literally turns into the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you do not hold to the doctrine of transubstantiation, you are anathematized by the Roman Church. Now, as we look at, continue at this, uh, I'm on, I think, the um, 
Well, we're under letter um, D. So if you go to that page where it said letter D on your on your your lesson there, we've already looked at the first one last week. And if you if you'd like to get caught up, certainly you can go online and get caught up. By the way, all of our teachings are online. Sunday night, Sunday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday night, they're online. Okay, or or Donna would be glad to make you a a, a CD that you can carry with you. So we look at the next part of this matter of the Eucharist and transubstantiation. It says, do you deny the doctrine of transubstantiation since it's not taught in the scripture? That is, do you deny that the, that the, the, the host and the cup become the literal body and the blood of Jesus Christ? If you do, then you are anathema. And here's, here's what the council wrote. If anyone saith that in the sacred and holy sacrament of the Eucharist, the substance of the bread and the wine remains conjointly with the body and the blood of our, Jesus, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and denieth the wonderful and singular conversion of the whole substance of the bread into the body and the whole substance of the wine into the blood, the species only of the bread and the wine remaining, which conversion indeed, uh, indeed the Catholic Church most aptly calls transubstantiation. Let him be anathema. So they decree that if you deny transubstantiation, that you are accursed. You are cursed. You are damned. Okay? Under the same... The same heading here, to go to the next page. Do you believe, do you believe that Christ's sacrifice on the cross is the only sacrifice that will ever, that will offer forgiveness of sins? Do you believe that Christ's sacrifice on the cross is the only sacrifice that will, that will offer forgiveness for sin and therefore deny that we receive forgiveness of sin by taking the Eucharist? Now remember, the term that Roman Catholics use, and even some higher church, what we call high church, still use, is sacraments. And that term sacrament infers that, that by taking these things, grace is bestowed upon you or given to you. That these are, in essence, a part of salvation itself. Okay? Do we deny that, that, that the sacrifice on the cross, or excuse me, do we believe that the sacrifice on the cross is the only sacrifice that is offered for the gifts of sin? I, that's what I believe. Okay? And I do deny that receiving forgiveness of sin is, 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 is given by taking the Lord's Supper, even what we call the Lord's Supper, certainly what they call the Eucharist. If you believe that, though, you are anathema. Here's what they say. If anyone saith, either the principal fruit of the most holy Eucharist is the remission of sins, or that other effects do not result therefrom, let them be anathema. So the fruit of taking the Eucharist is salvation, forgiveness of sins. The last thing on this, this thing. Do you believe that we should not worship the bread of the Eucharist as if it were Christ complete? In other words, worship the elements of the Eucharist, the, the host and the cup. Then you are considered anathema. Alright, here's what the council says. If anyone saith that in the holy sacrament of the Eucharist, Christ, the only begotten Son of God, is not to be adored with worship, even external of Latria, as is consequently... As, and is consequently neither to be venerated with a special festive solemnity, I can't say that, nor to be solemnly borne out in processions according to the laudable and the universe right and the custom of the Holy Church, or is not to be proposed publicly to the people to be adored, and that the adorers thereof are idolaters, let him be anathema. 
So for you to say the thought of this bread and this cup turning into the body and blood of Jesus Christ, therefore must be worshipped and adored. For you to say, that doesn't seem right to me, it actually seems to be idolatry to me, which our forebears stated, then the church anathematizes anybody who would believe such as that. Remember, again, anathema. You are cursed. You are damned. You understand, every one of you who are a biblical Christian, I, just, I, I can't just let this go. Every one of you that are a biblical Christian in this room here today are damned by the Roman Catholic Church. It's, it's very strong. All right. We go to the next thing. Confession. What a part of confession. Do you believe that the sacramental confession is not necessary to keep your salvation and that confessing secretly to priests is a doctrine made by man and not by Christ? If you believe that, then you are anathema. Okay? Aren't you glad? Let me just throw this out. Aren't you glad that you can go directly to Jesus and confess your sin? Have you ever thought about it this way? Just taken out of the theological realm. Just, just dealing from a, from a practical realm. What if that priest is messed up? What if he forgets about you? Isn't it nice to know that you have a high priest in Christ Jesus who never forgets about you and can't possibly be messed up? Okay? And I'd say that's true for the priest or any pastor or anybody else that you might want to think that you need to confess to. But they would say that if you, if you do not believe that, that you keep your salvation by going through the confessional, then you are anathema. Kelly. You know, I, I see this as, you know, again, growing up in the Catholic Church, but this is always an incredible control mechanism for the whole body, you know, of, of, the, of Catholicism. Right. And I, could, I, would tell, I would say to you that very few practicing Catholics ever have read any of these things. Yeah. Any of these things. Okay. Well, let's see what the council says about this confessional thing. If anyone denies either the sacramental confession, remember there, there's a sacrament again, a bestowal of grace, bestowal of salvation. If anyone denies either the sacramental confession was instituted or is necessary to salvation, boom. If anyone denies that it's necessary to salvation, of divine right, or say it, that the manner of confessing secretly to a priest alone, which the church has ever observed from the beginning, and doth observe, is alien from the institution and the command of Christ, and is a human invention, let him be anathema. So if you say this is a human invention, it is the invention of the church, and it's not what Christ commanded, then you are again cursed. But even more than that, Notice how they put in, in, in the council's statement that if you say it's not necessary for salvation, then let that person be anathema. Just another strong statement. Part of, it's one of the sacraments. Now, what, we were talking about this. The Roman Catholic Church, does anybody remember how many sacraments? Is there? Someone told me seven. 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 Okay. Seven sacraments. They're all sacramental in nature. You must keep and or observe all seven sacraments in order to be saved. Yet, even if you keep all seven of them, you can't know whether or not you have salvation in the church. And even if you keep all seven of them, you may still have to spend time in purgatory to purge your sin uh, from your life so that you can be prepared to go into the presence of God. 
So even the doctrine of purgatory is a denial of the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross. You're either made righteous by Christ or you're not. He suffered once and for all. The just for the unjust. He made us right with the Father. It's a wonderful thing that he's done. And confession, although confession is needed for salvation, when we read Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord and, and God is raised from the dead, what's he say? You shall be saved. That's the confession he speaks of. Not to a man. It's not sacramental in that sense. All right, let's go on to the next one. We deal with the Mass. You're familiar with the Mass. The Mass is, is, is a weekly uh, event in the Roman Catholic Church. It is a continuation of the sacrifice of Christ. That's what they believe. So where we would say that the sacrifice is done, it is finished, no other sacrifice needs to be made, they would teach that the Mass is a continuation of the sacrifice of Christ. So, do you believe that the Mass is not a real and true sacrifice? Remember, in the Bible, for for sacrifice to be, blood needs to be there. But again, if you believe in transubstantiation, you believe that blood is there during the Mass. Because remember, in the Eucharist, you have the prayer of the priest that changes the elements from what they naturally are into what they supernaturally become, the very body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So, do you believe that the Mass is not a real and true sacrifice offered to God? Because the Bible specifically says there is no more sacrifice for sins. That's Hebrews 10, 18. No more sacrifice for sin. The sacrifice is done. Aren't you glad? The sacrifice is done. But if you believe such, the church curses you. You are cursed when you say you believe that the sacrifice is done. No more sacrifice. There's no such thing as a sacrifice of the Mass. And I've said this before. In our churches, we really don't have an altar. We use the term altar all the time. We don't have an altar. We don't continue sacrifices in our church. We have front steps. We have a Lord's Supper table. But we don't have an altar. The last altar between man and God was Calvary. That's the last altar. That's the last sacrifice for men's sin. But here's what the council says. It says, If anyone saith that in the Mass... In, that in the Mass a true and proper sacrifice is not offered to God, or that to be offered is nothing else but that Christ is given us to eat, let him be anathema. So if you say it's not a true sacrifice, or if you say it's merely the elements, okay, not Christ himself, let them be anathema. We go on about the Mass. Said, so do you believe that the Mass is not a propitiation? Someone explain to me propitiation. It's a real simple word. What is it? Atoning sacrifice. It's a Tony sacrament. Let's, let's put it in English. Substitution. Substitution pretty close. They're all, they're all right. It's a payment. It's a payment. But it, all those words are true. It, basically, that's what it is. It is, a, it is an accepted payment for sin. Propitiation. 1 John 2.2 2 says, And he himself, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation for our sin. And not for ours only, but for the entire world. He is the propitiation. He is the payment. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the substitute. All those things are true when it comes to that. 
So here's what, do you believe that the Mass is not a propitiation, a atoning sacrifice, a payment, a substitution, okay, propitiatory sacrifice that should be offered for the sins of both the living and the dead saints for forgiveness of sins, punishment, etc. If you don't believe that the Mass is for that purpose, you are anathematized. Here's what the council says. If anyone said that the sacrifice of the Mass is only a sacrifice of praise and of thanksgiving, or that it is a bare, it is a bare commemoration of the sacrifice consummated on the cross, but not a propitiatory sacrifice, or that it profits him only who receives, and that it ought not only to be offered for the living and the dead for sins, pains, satisfaction, and other necessities, let him be anathema. So not only offered for the living, but offered for the dead. It's an incredible thing. Now, I know there's some questions that probably come up right here. Let's take a couple questions right here. Let's start here, and now I'll come back over here. Okay. Where do they ever get the idea that we should pray for dead people? How can you pray for something that's dead? Well, there's... Clearly, well, here's, here's what, what the Roman Catholics certainly got right, and that, that is that the, those who pass from this life are aware. Okay? They're aware. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists and other groups teach what's called soul sleep. That is, that, that those who pass from this life are unaware. But the Roman Catholic Church has clearly carried it a little bit further when they would say, because it, remember, they still believe in purgatory, a purging. Purgatory is a place of purging for your own personal sin or whatever kind of sin, whether it be the, the venial sins, mortal sins that, that have not been covered by Christ on the cross. So it has to be purged from you before you can enter into eternity. So in that, in that case, they believe there is an, an active act. And I want you to get this. There is an active act of salvation taking place for some who've already passed on and who are suffering in purgatory so you pray for them so that maybe, maybe, possibly they can move from that place of purgatory quicker into that place of eternity. Part of the hell marriage, part of the things that are offered uh, by, and some of you are nodding your head, that are offered by Roman Catholics for dead, for people who have passed on are so that people might have to spend less time in purgatory. I'm not going to get all into these today, but you've probably heard of indulgences. Okay? Fees established by the church placed upon people who have died, and if you pay the indulgences, you can actually pay for your loved one to spend less time in purgatory. So that's where you start getting this praying for the dead, or having a mass for the dead, or lighting a candle for the dead. All of these are part of that. And it's a very serious thing that they take here because, again, they personally do not believe it's over when somebody has passed from life. We're, we believe the Bible says that when we pass, our opportunity is in this world, and when we pass from this world, we pass either to the place of, in the presence of God, not purgatory, but in the very presence of God, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, or we go to a place called Hades, a place that's awaiting judgment, and those in Hades will spend eternity in hell. That's the difference here. 
Did I hear you correctly last week that you said the cup is no longer always part of the cup? Yes. In mo- in I- part of the blood. In, well, in most modern in most modern masses, and there's two, there's different there's different strains here because you have the I know you all have heard of uh, he did Braveheart, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson he is of the old school and he he only observes mass in Latin, which also includes the full Eucharist. But most of the modern ones, the people do not drink the cup; they just receive the host. The cup is there, but they don't receive it. Yeah, they don't receive it. That's how you practice it. That's a. practice it more now. Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't want to. Yeah. And this is how they get around it. The priest at the altar has a large orange host that he is praying with, and that is dipped in his cup of wine. Thereby, it sanctifies all the little hosts that are out there in the trade going around the coast. But the main host, the priest has, that he prayed over, that's been given to the wine. That's how they It's a very, you can see, and some of you coming out of Roman Catholicism, it's a very elaborate, it's a very, and some people, it's, it's a very beautiful, I mean, let's just be, it's a very beautiful expression. I remember when I was pastor in Tucson, just a young pastor, one lady who had come out of Roman Catholicism said, I like what you say, I like what you teach, but it's hard for me to, to be there because you don't have on the proper vestments. And those of you who are Catholics know what vestments are. It's all the, all the, what, what they wear and stuff. And I was, you know, in a coat and a tie and stuff, and, and that wasn't, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't, uh, holy enough. It wasn't set, you know, set apart and stuff. Very high church, very liturgical church, very, uh, you know, and, and many of you probably, even if you haven't been in Roman Catholicism, maybe you've gone to Roman Catholic funeral and stuff, and there's it's very segmented, or a Roman Catholic wedding, there's very segmented things that are, that are done in, in, in all of those things. Linda. Gone what? No, no. Here's what you need to understand. Here's what we all need to understand. There are groups of charismatic and evangelical Catholics, but they are not allowed to leave this. They are not allowed to leave this. These are declarations of the magisterium. No, no. Now they, they may add some other things from a from an evangelical position or from a charismatic position. You go down into Haiti and you have what's the word Santeria? Sat, what's the term there? Someone help me. Santer, that it, it, it is it is a it is a joining of Roman Catholicism and Voodoo. Okay. And by the way, if you went over to Europe, your experience in a Roman Catholic church would be would be completely different than your experience in a Roman Catholic church here in America. It is Americanized. So there is a flavor, there's always a flavor of the culture that you're in. But within that, I, I, it's really important that you understand, within that, no church, no, there is no such thing, there is no such thing as an independent Catholic church. There is no such thing. The head of the Catholic church is the Pope. He is to be. He is unquestioned. Now that doesn't mean you don't have rogue people. You do have rogue people like you do in Baptist or any other group. 
But if you're talking about a Catholic church, that Catholic church is owned lock, stock, and barrel by Rome. And they are required to hold to the decrees of the councils and, and, and the, the, the declarations of the Pope. They are required to. Okay? So, there are variants in that sense, but they're not allowed to leave these things. None of them are. Not a one of them are. Yes? Was the Catholic Church the first church? No. That's a misnomer. I mean, some of that. Wasn't that? And I say no. The first church, the first church, the, actually the first people to ever call Christians was a group of believers in a place called Antioch. And we've been studying Romans on what well, the book of Romans on, on Tuesday morning, and I share with the people there that when Paul wrote Romans, Paul had never visited Romans, yet there was a church there. Never visited Rome, excuse me, yet there was a church there. And not only had Paul never never visited Rome, but Peter had never visited Rome. So it's unlikely that Peter established a church in Rome because he hadn't even been there and there's already a church there. But the Roman Catholic Church as you know it, as we know it, was not established in the 1st century, was not established in the 2nd century, was not established in the 3rd century, but established in the 4th century under an emperor by the name of Constantine. So to claim that it goes all the way back and to claim apostolic succession does not even hold, does not even hold to history. It just doesn't hold. And, and I mean, it, and it's just a misnomer to say stuff like that. There was no Roman Catholic Church in Jerusalem. And that's where the church was birthed at. According to the Bible, the book of Acts, coming of the Holy Spirit, the church was birthed at, in Jerusalem. Go ahead. Uh, may shock everybody, but the, the New Testament, it, the, the, the church was all Jewish. Yes. Initially, it started out as all Jewish, and uh, if you take, everybody thinks that the Old Testament is the Jewish portion, and the New Testament is the is the is the, the New Testament for the uh, Gentiles. But if you you can't read the New Testament out of a Jewish context, no, you can't. It makes no sense because everything in there is Jewish in the in the Old in the New Testament. And the book, was, the book was authored by Jewish authors. It's a confirmation yeah. of the Old Testament. They're so yeah. complimentary. It's Jewish. Yeah. It's amazing. Next thing. And Constantine, if I got my history right, was very nicely influenced by his Christian mother. Yes. But what happened with Constantine, I don't want to go too far in this, but Constantine established Roman Catholicism or Catholicism as a state religion. And what happened anytime, whether you're talking about Roman Catholicism, or you go over into Europe and you have the Anglican groups and the different things like that. Once you make it a state religion, one of the reasons why our forebears said, we're the ones that said, it's not in the Constitution, but we're the ones that said separation of church and states. Roger Williams, Baptist gentleman, said separation of church and state. The state should not be running the church, is the point. But the church's head should be not be the monarch or the or the queen, or the king or the queen, but the, the head of the church needs to be Jesus. Okay? Alright, so let's go on to the next thing. I want to make sure we get through these before we finish. Uh, now we move we move to one of the 
one of the statements, if you're in my, ever in my new members class, one of the things that we find out that what it means to be Baptist, I think what it means to be biblical, is the teaching of the priesthood of the believer. That every believer is a priest before God. Okay? Clearly in the Old Testament system, things were different. But in the New Testament system, understanding the Old Testament, it's like what Jesse said, understanding the Old Testament, understand the position that Christ has put us in. That now, in the Old Testament, the priest, now think about this, in the Old Testament, the priest would go to God on behalf of the people. The people would bring their sacrifices to who? To the priest. The priest would take their sacrifices and offer the sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. Now what is recorded for us so wonderfully in the, in the New Testament is, now you have been made a priest before God. Now you have the ability to go to God yourself through Jesus Christ. For we don't have a great high priest like they did in the Old Testament system. We don't have a vicar of Christ here on earth that ultimately we must go to, like the Roman system of the Pope. Okay, We can go directly to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who, according to Hebrews, He is our great high priest. He's the one that we go through. And yet, here's this point. It says, do you believe in the priesthood of all believers, as stated in 1 Peter 2, 9? And therefore, do not believe that the Catholic priests have the power to retain or to forgive sin. If you believe that, then you are, according to the church, anathema. Here's what the council said. If anyone saith that there is not in the New Testament a visible and external priesthood, or that there is not any power of consecrating or offering the true body and blood of the Lord, and of forgiving and retaining sin, but only an office and bare ministry of preaching the gospel, or that those who do not preach are not priests at all, let them be anathema. So... They're, what they're saying to you here is that everything is through the hands of the priest. Now, here's why that makes sense. In the Roman Catholic system, everything is through the church. Everything's through the church. And the hands of the church are the priests, along with the, uh, you know, you can go right up on the list of the different levels that, that lead all the way up to the Pope. Okay? You, as a layperson, are not, you're not a priest. You are a lay person and, 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 and salvation has been dispensed to you through the church and through the hands of the clergy. So clearly in the Roman system, in the Roman Catholic system, that the clergy's hands have power that your, your hands do not have. Including what we've already talked about, the ability to pray over the host and the cup and, and transubstantiation takes place and they turn into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. If you deny that priesthood, that priest system, then you are anathematized by the church. The last one. Do you deny the legitimacy of the bishops appointed by Rome? That's a pretty, this is a pretty strong So even if you don't buy into the bishops or the hierarchy, you can throw that word in there, that hierarchy established by Rome, then you are considered anathema. Here's what it says. If anyone saith that the bishops who are assumed by the authority of who are assumed by the authority of the Roman Pontiff are not legitimate and true bishops, but are a human figment, let them be anathema. If you deny the whole system, basically what they're saying, then you are anathema. Alright? 
I want you to think about this with me. That's, that's the last one. Do you deny the one true bishop of Rome, which would be the Pope? Someone said, I've had people tell me, you ought to have a little bit more respect for the Pope. And I, you know, I, I just have to tell you, I have little respect for anyone that I believe is leading a church that's leading people to eternity apart from God. And I, I, don't, I don't even like saying that, but this, we're talking about people's salvation. Now, you have just seen a list of the anathema, or some of the anathemas that the Roman church pronounces upon other groups. You know, I've had people tell me before, you seem mean and harsh to the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not pronouncing these anathemas on them. They are pronouncing these things. By the way, here's what's important. If you let the Scripture speak, here's what the Scripture says. If anyone comes to you with any other gospel than that which you've received, gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the way to salvation, if anyone comes to you with any gospel than that which you've received, then they are accursed. If this is the way to salvation, as as declared by the Council of Trent and affirmed by the Vatican II, and believed and taught in the catechism of the Roman Catholic Church, then you need to understand that. Then your understanding and our way of salvation is not salvation at all. There are not two different ways of salvation. Remember what he said? There's not another gospel. There's one gospel. So it really boils down to this. Either there is a gospel of what we call evangelical Christianity or biblical Christianity, or there's a gospel of the Roman Catholic Church. They both cannot save. They both cannot save. And you need to understand that you have been damned over and over again by the Catholic Church for the things that you hold to be biblically true. We've read all those things the last two weeks. Why is it important to do this? Because we're dealing with people's souls here. It's not a small thing. And unfortunately, the evangelical church has, has, has gotten to the place where we say, well, there's really not that significant amount of difference between us and Roman Catholics. There is. There's a huge amount of difference. As I said last week, that doesn't mean that there are not individuals in the Roman Catholic Church that are saved. But I want you to know they didn't get saved by Catholic doctrine. They got, if you're saved, you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way anybody's saved. It's the only gospel that saves. What you, I hope you've seen the last two, two weeks is... is it, it, is an essence. There's so much more. And I don't want to get into all the little... If you want to study that, that will be... That's fine for you to do. But what I wanted you to see that there is a distinction between biblical Christianity and Roman Catholic faith. You know what that means? As we talked about Islamic people, Jehovah Witness people, Mormon people, New Age people, Eastern mystic people, as we've looked at their own teaching and let their own teach like we just did here with Roman Catholicism. You know what that means? Is that we have a whole group of people that need to hear the gospel. The saving gospel. This is not a condemnation of that church or those people. This is a, this is a teaching of awareness to biblical Christians to understand that there are a vast number of people out there that need to be born again. If they're going to get that message, they have to get that message from those who know the gospel. And who are willing to share the gospel. As I close out this, I, I want to share something with you so, that you so that you understand this. The hardest people to reach with the gospel are religious people. 
Do you understand that? I would say that too. Lost Baptists. You say, Pastor, there's no such thing as a lost Baptist. Well, hey, you got to see it from my perspective. There are. When someone thinks that they're religiously right, they're the hardest people to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been given one message, church. And I'm going to believe what Paul was inspired to write in the book of Romans where he says, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? What's he say? What's the next line? This is so good. For it is the power of God unto salvation. For the Jew first and then for the Gentile. You know what that means for the Jew first and then for the Gentile? It means for everybody. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everybody. For everybody. And we've been blessed and privileged to have that message given to us. And now we must take it. I didn't give you these four pages so you can run to your Catholic friends and say, See? What I give this to you is for your understanding. What you need to run to your Catholic friends with is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Same thing with what I gave you on Mormonism. Same thing with what I gave you on Jehovah's Witness. If you're going to go out there and get in an argument with him, it's not, it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to make, it's be no benefit. This is, this, these teachings have been for your benefit. So that you have some foundation. But we've been given one message to the lost world. One message. Not argue with them about what they believe. Even at the hill, Mars Hill in Athens, Paul did not stand up and argue with those men. He didn't. He stood up and took that opportunity to share the gospel with those men who were believing in that, all those gods. Because again, it is the, the gospel is the power of God under salvation. That's what we need to go. Our commission was to take that gospel. And so these notes are for you so that you're equipped. They're not for you to get an argument with. Because the truth is, if your Catholic friends wanted to know what these notes said, they can do just what I did. They can go online. They can do some study. They can read some books. They're all, it's all there. It's all there.